0: The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts.
1: Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer.
0: And I'm your host, Kathleen Walch if you've been listening to our podcast for a while, you'll know that at Cognolytica, we're focused on digging deep into a wide range of use cases for AI and cognitive technologies. Across many industries and implementations, we see some recurring themes pop up and general use cases over and over again. In past podcasts, we've talked about chatbots, autonomous vehicles, aspects of natural language understanding, computer vision, advanced robotics, and a bunch of other topics. In today's AI podcast, we want want to talk about the concept of hyper-personalization, a particular use case that's applicable across a wide range of industries. But one area where we found it being used over and over again is in advertising.
1: So for listeners that may not know what is hyper personalization, it's the idea where you can take some aspect of what you do like your service, your data or a promotion and tailor that thing to a specific individual. Like really as the name implies, really customize and personalize that thing for you rather than for a group of people, right? So, you know, this tailored content, you know, can be delivered at the right time in the right format in the right channel that will meet some immediate need and result in greater chance of conversion. And because we said hyper-personalization is applicable across a wide range of areas, we're seeing it used, of course, in advertising. We'll dig into it a little bit deeper. But we also see it in the idea of hyper-personalized medicine and hyper-personalized finance and hyper-personalized customer support. So when you're calling in, like, I know exactly what to do with you. And so that's great. But it's got particular power in the area of advertising. So, you know, advertisers have long known that ads are the most successful when the right product is promoted at the right time to the right customer. But, you know, until recently, we just didn't have a way to do this. So the big dream, like this ultimate vision of the advertiser is, as we just mentioned, to take the right product to the right person at the right time in the right channel with the right message and the right offer. That's the thing. So you can be like, if I knew that, like the moment you think about you want, want breakfast, yeah, you want yeah. breakfast, like you're hungry for French toast. It's like, wow, I was just happened to be looking at my phone and bam, there's an offer for French toast, 20% off at a place that's like literally down the street. That's a place that I really love to go.
0: Or they'll even deliver it because they know that you don't normally leave on Saturday mornings and you feel like, you said French toast or I feel like a nice big coffee, but it's cold and I don't want to go outside.
1: So it's like the system has some sort of tapped into your brain and figured out exactly what you want at this exact moment and figured out the exact right way to communicate with you. That's the dream of hyper-personalization in advertising.
0: And it's kind of like, duh, of course that's the dream, but that dream has been nearly impossible for a long time. In the past, advertisers promoted their products and services really broadly and had a really wide reach and target audiences. They relied on print ads, TV commercials, billboards or, you know, end caps and displays at stores to get their messages out and promote their products. The reason this was done is because it was the best way that they could do it at the time. And if you segment your audience in general ways, that was how you had to do it. It was impossible to create any sort of highly personalized ad or promotion that way. So I think about this as Mad Men. You know, if you go back to the show, it was based in the 1960s. The way that they marketed and advertised and targeted customers then is so different than how we do it now. I remember there was one episode, where Betty Draper had gone into the grocery store and Don had created, I guess, this end cap display and it was, you know, beers from around the world. And so it worked on her, but it was targeted towards a housewife who maybe in the 1960s were the people that were going into the grocery stores. And, you know, that was a great way to capture them. But now today, there's many people that go into grocery stores and it's just not an effective, highly targeted way to market anymore. So after the 1960s with that, we've come a long way. And the internet's come about, mobile technologies, these have been real game changers. Combined with the enormous, enormous quantities that we have of big data, advertisers now have a real way to not only target their customers, but get increasingly personal and timely information about what those customers are doing. Through the combination of big data and AI powered predictive analytics, advertisers are now able to get. We hope you're enjoying this podcast and sorry for the brief interruption. Cognolytica not only produces the AI podcast that you're listening to right now, but we also generate research and advisory to help companies make sense of AI and cognitive technologies.
1: We also run the most authoritative, vendor-neutral AI and machine learning training and certification on the market. If you're looking to make AI a reality for your organization, our three-day Cognolytica training is for you.
0: If you're interested in attending, you can find pricing and registration on our website at Cognolitica.com. We'll also provide a link in the show notes. We've met many of our podcast listeners in our classes, and we hope that we'll see you there as well. Now back to the podcast. Advertisers are now able to get a comprehensive profile of target customers to better understand their wants, needs, buying behaviors, times that they buy, how they buy, where they buy their product, and also their preferred channels of interaction and communication.
1: Mm. So the idea of hyper-personalization is also related to the idea of recommendation or what we call the idea. Sometimes personalization and recommendation are lumped together into one category. The reason being is because recommendations are like personalization. You build up a profile of somebody over time and you build up a profile of what they buy and you can recommend other things. So the most obvious example of this, if you've ever shopped on Amazon or if you ever watched a show on Netflix, you know, that's basically just about everybody. Or if you haven't even shopped at Amazon, which I would, can't imagine anybody who has not, any system, Walmart's got it, doesn't really matter where you go, then you've probably already familiar with this concept, right? So Amazon and Netflix both help to pioneer and popularize recommendation systems. So it's when you get another product, a relevant product or a service or some offering or some content or some movie or something that's recommended to you at the time that you're looking for something to maximize the chance of additional sales and also to keep you on the site. You know, this the whole idea is to keep you there and to upsell and to cross sell, right? So you're given a suggested recommendations for items or content or shows or whatever based on your previous behavior. And this basically helps create more of this custom experience.
0: Yeah, and a great example is if you've ever binged watch a TV show on Netflix, let's say Making a Murderer, for example, then Netflix will start to recommend similar shows in that genre and it won't recommend shows out of that genre that you don't watch. So if you don't watch reality TV or you don't watch cartoons, you don't watch rom-coms, it's not going to suggest that. So it'll make the experience more personalized for you. But why now? And why haven't we done this before? And then once we've been getting these targeted ads, another question is, do we like this? We have an example where the hyper-personalization went wrong and somebody's parent had recently passed away and so they were searching Amazon for urns. Well, you hope that urns are a one-time purchase because there's been a death in the family and Amazon started recommending different urns to this person. That can be a little insensitive and it can, you know, get people upset. For the most part, recommendations, these personalized recommendations Mm -hmm. don't mean much. But, you know, this does bring up the question, do we like this or not?
1: The cremation urns. Yeah, a cremation. Or, I weren't familiar. It's like, yeah, you probably only, you know, it's like there's not much need to be changing that out. It's not the kind of thing you change with fashion every couple of months, right?
0: AI-powered recommendation systems are keeping track of our behaviors and they're noting what we're doing and watching and searching. And, you know, they're also, in addition to seeing what we are doing, they're looking at what we're not doing. So when we're skipping over shows or when we didn't click something or engage, they're looking at that too. These systems are learning not only what an individual customer is potentially interested in, but also finding what other customers similarly are interested in. In this way, machine learning-enabled recommendation systems are not only learning the patterns of individual users, but are finding groupings of customers that share similar behaviors. Instead of marketers manually creating these segmentation buckets that can very crudely lump customers together in somewhat similar ways, these intelligent systems are finding the hidden groupings and they're able to, you know, more accurately group these people together. They're finding hidden patterns within the data and helping to better identify individuals. Mm-hmm. So
1: anybody who's been experienced with advertising, marketing or sales or the internet knows that we've had recommendation systems and personalization for like decades now, 20 years, But I think this is for a lot of folks who are thinking about why this AI resurgence has happened over the past, say, decade. There's no coincidence that the people who have been pushing ahead with AI is Google and Facebook and Netflix and Amazon and Microsoft, right? And others, IBM. You know, these are companies that started using machine learning to basically make their offerings more intelligent and then realized that there's power in AI and realized it can apply to other things. Like, you know, when Facebook was recommending content in your stream, along time ago, at the beginning of Facebook, it was just putting all sorts of random stuff. You used to see whatever noise was happening with your friends. This is very early in in Facebook. If you were on there in 2005, 2006, 2007, it was a very noisy wall. Then people like, realized they did not want to actually see everything. So what it started to do is started filtering your content based on what it... What you liked. Yeah, and what it thought you were clicking on and, and you know thumbs-upping and liking and all that sort of stuff. And people started actually complaining. They're like, wait, I'm not actually seeing updates anymore from all of my friends. So it's interesting, right? So AI is changing the old way of doing recommendation where it was just databases and you know somebody was categorizing things and just like, okay, well, if everybody likes to shop for this, then they like to shop for that no matter who you are. So the way that AI has been really helpful... With personalization, is doing a couple things. First of all, it's approaching the idea of customer data as this big, what's called the data lake, which is mm-hmm. just throw data, store everything, and find the connections in the data after you've stored it. So just store everything and then find those patterns later. So the big data customer profile. The second thing is using machine learning to find those patterns, identify the patterns in the data. The third thing is like increasingly tracking your behavior. So it's sort of like how long you're on a page and what you're doing while you're doing it and where you're you are while you're doing it so this is a lot of data and also finding other people who have behaviors that are similar to you are there other people that are near you that are also doing that kind of thing and then finding these similarity patterns what we call the affinities so like you know the people who like this usually like that and people like who and it's a random connections it's like you know why is it that you know people who like, like to
0: coffee also like newspapers and fuzzy socks like, I, like it's things right. that you're like right. you don't right on the surface for late. Right,
1: right, exactly. People who like work at WeWork happen to also like, you know... Punk um, rock. Yeah, and and, and hipster (laughs) eyeglasses. So, you know, it's true. Like the the Warby Parker. So, and the other thing is like basically the idea, so AI is really, it's the machine learning. It's like the machine learning and big data. That's what is making hyper-personalization this reality.
0: So one company that's really been leading the way with this is Starbucks. If anybody has the Starbucks app, they, for the past few years, they've been able to witness this transformation. About a few years ago, now, Starbucks changed their reward system from a visits-based system to a spend-based program, which allowed for something incredibly important, personalization. Starbucks used to push about 30 variants of emails per week, but with AI-powered tools, it's now able to send 400,000 personalized variants a week. That's massive. What used to take people a long time to put together and, you know, craft 30 different campaigns, which isn't that much considering how many Starbucks users there are. They now can get 400,000 different emails a week. This wouldn't have been possible without AI. Starbucks uses their AI algorithms based on your own preference and your own past purchasing behaviors to help offer you personalized deals and discounts. Right.
1: And so this idea was that you know, if you're a marketer at Starbucks and you're trying to tell people about the new cold brew or something, right? As mentioned before, the old way to do it is to basically, okay, we'll, we'll craft a campaign and maybe it'll be based uh-huh. on geography or whatever. As Kathleen mentioned, you have a couple versions of it and you push it out and you maybe say, I'm sure, that, I'm sure it did fine. But the power of this data is that it really allows it to be extremely hyper personalized. So it's like, it knows that you like to go to Starbucks at 2pm based on your purchase history, based on your rewards history. This is data that you're freely giving up to Starbucks every time you make your purchase and you link your card or you link your app or whatever you're doing. And it knows that you like $4 vanilla lattes so the odds of you liking the $5 you know, cold brew, nitro whatever is probably high. So let me send you an offer so that the next time you go into Starbucks which you always do at 2 o'clock. Here is this offer valid only for you at this time, right? Not transferable. It's got that unique code, right? So this is really interesting. The thing about hyper Personalization—it's just like every technology of convenience. It's like there's so many great things that we like about it. It's like we don't like being spammed with terrible ads that have nothing to do with <laughs> anything, right? So that's the great thing. We also like the idea of—it's like I want my experience, my customer experience to be efficient. Like I don't want to have to be like, oh, you know, if, imagine this is the old Amazon where you have to go through a menu to find everything, and you're like, you know, I'm buying camping equipment, so it's like, oh, I got to go find, and I got to go find the tent, and I got to find the sleeping bag, and you got to go. Page through everything. Imagine there was no recommendation system. That would be a pain in the butt, right? So personalization has a lot of benefit because it makes everything more efficient, right? But there is a bad side. There's the downside to hyper personalization. The downside to hyper personalization, of course, is data, is the consumer's data. And
0: I think. And you feel like you're being tracked, right? You know, because when I look at Amazon, for example, and I'm looking at tents, well, all right, if. Amazon wants to recommend sleeping bags and other related camping gear, like maybe a portable cooking device or flashlights or bug spray, you know, things that go along with camping. That's fine. But when it follows me to different websites, people can start to get upset by that.
1: That's the whole idea of what's called ad retargeting, which is that it uses your search history mm-hmm. if you're Google, or it may use your shopping history if you're Amazon, and it surfaces ads that appear not in the context no. of your shopping experience. You're like you're if on, I'm on
0: Facebook, right. or If I'm reading a or you're reading a uh, news
1: article, yeah. and you're like, wow, like I think that happened to me now. It's, of course, it's happening to everybody now because every advertiser is doing this now. But like you're you're like on CNN or Fox News or something <laughs> or whatever, and you're like, why is it showing ads for tents now? This is like crazy town. Well, because obviously this little tracking cookie that's tracked your search behavior, your purchasing behavior, and then these ad networks, which are all tied in together, pick up that cookie and say, oh, you searched for this. Therefore, I'm going to, because the ads of conversion, it's just like spam. It's like, well, I'm not going to click on ads that are completely irrelevant. So these are kind of relevant. And you're like, "Mm," you know, so that's the bad side is sort of like, because it's so data centric, people are hesitating about this. And I think that's the problem is one, people just are not trusting companies anymore with their data because if the advertisers have access to it, who else has access to it, right? There's the whole Cambridge Analytica thing. Well,
0: and how much data do you have? Yeah, on top of who has access right. to it. It's like, how much do you actually know about me? It's sort of frightening when, you know, I use Google Maps to get from point A to point B. Maybe I don't know how to get to a location or I use it to see if it can reroute me. And now Google, it's a tracking device mm-hmm. and they know exactly where I go, when I go, the route that I take, how long it takes me to get there. When I've left my house, that's where things can start to, you know, the creepy factor comes in.
1: Right. And if you want to really creep yourself out, you know, there's a Google provides a page where you can see your activity history, Mm -hmm. right? You can see your search history. You can see, and there's a location history and you're like, holy
0: crap. Right. That's where it gets scary. Now, okay, I want to hope that Google's a trustworthy company, not going to be taking that and doing something bad with it. But what if a bad actor gets hands on that? They know when I've left. They know that I'm on vacation because they can see that I'm searching in Florida and I live in California, or that I'm up in Boston and I'm gone for three days because Google Calendar has my flight information in there. That's when things start to, you know, we get in this gray area where maybe it's not as great as it seems on the surface.
1: And as a matter of fact, you know, there's an idea in artificial intelligence and robotics. It's actually just applied to human-like forms. It's called Mm -hmm. the uncanny valley. if you're not familiar with the idea of the uncanny valley, it's that it usually applies to things that are humanoid, that when you start to make like a machine have more sort of like human or animal like characteristics if it's it starts out as like really cute like oh there's like this little cute little thing that looks like wally yeah or like you know like it's got like this cute little robot like from a short circuit they're cute you know because kind of human like but not really it's anthropomorphic you know like the toys from cars or toy story but as you start to make it more and more human like it starts to get interesting and then all of a sudden it gets you, you get into this uncanny valley where it's just creepy like sophia the <laughs> robot lots of them are like they like they're human but they're not human enough it's like the valley, because after that, like a human, an actual human, you have no problem interacting with a regular human. You're like, oh, that person's not, I'm not creeped out by people, right? Right. right. You know, everybody looks like a person, right? I mean, unless you have some social disorder. But like that little valley pretty much creeps everybody out. You know, there's that same, uh, we're starting to think like you can apply this uncanny valley to data. You know, don't think about it in terms of like it looks like a human. It's more like, oh, this is convenient. I love this data. Oh, this is personalized. This is good. This is nice. I don't have to like, you know, you've saved me time. Oh, this more data. Great. More data. Great. This is good. This is great. And then all of a sudden you get to this point like, whoa, now you know too much. Right? You cross this line between you know enough to help me and now you know too much. And now you're in this valley, this uncanny valley of data. And I think we're rapidly getting there. And the, different people have different levels of comfort, mm-hmm. but you can already tell there are people who are, there's actually a whole bunch of commentary out right now about people who are trying to de-Google themselves mm-hmm. or de-Amazon themselves, not because they don't like what Amazon and Google do for services, but because they don't want to have a data footprint. Facebook there. can be joined with that as yeah. well.
0: A lot of people are trying to get off that. The way I like to think about this and equate it is with the idea of plastics because that's been in the news a lot lately too. Where plastics, you know, back before the 1960s, we can argue, were not really mainstream. They were not around for everyday use. But now they are. And plastics brought about a lot of good. It helped with food sanitization and it helped make things cheaper. Toys, for example. And it brought about a lot of good. But now people are starting to see the downside of plastics where because they're cheap, people throw them out. They're one-time uses. So we have a lot of plastic bag waste. We have plastic container waste, plastic caps, and that's starting to create a lot of pollution in our oceans. So people are starting to have a pushback on plastic and a few major brands are now trying to have reusable products come out that are not plastics, they're metals. So a reusable oatmeal container and reusable deodorant containers, stuff like that to minimize the use of plastics. That's great, but that's also hard to do and not available everywhere and not for everyone. Mm The same idea goes to this idea of hyper-personalization and how you're tracked with all your data. Having some data, you know, having companies have some data on you is great. And at the beginning, it was just being digested and not really used. But now it's getting to the point where people are saying, wait, hold on a minute. You know too much. I don't like that you used my data for this. I don't like that I didn't give you permission and you're using this. And you can say, well, no, I gave you permission because I clicked on this box when I created my Gmail account. But that's not really me giving you permission for everything that you're doing. That was me giving permission to use Gmail, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that these companies are kind of taking that and running with it a little too far.
1: Yeah. And the thing about hyper-personalization is it's is such a powerful use case, for. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's why we decided, okay, we're going to, you know, we talked a little bit about different classification systems and how we're classifying all these use cases. And actually, hyper-personalization is a, you can think of it as like a horizontal application of AI, but it's actually really just a set of categories of AI. And the thing about it is it is really useful. The problem with hyper-personalization is like, it's like a plastic. It's like, it's, if you're not using it and your competitors are using it you're at a significant disadvantage, right? Mm-hmm. Even in the context, so in advertising, of course, so we're talking about personalization recommendation. If you're going to build an e-commerce company now not having personalization recommendation, you're not going to be able to compete. Just you're going to have to do that, right? And as a matter of fact, Amazon knows that and they're actually even selling their personalization recommendation as a service so that you can implement it for your site using Amazon's machine learning stuff. It's actually part of their new Amazon Web Services cloud infrastructure doing that. But you can apply it to anything. So like imagine you're an insurance company and I can hyper-personalize mind that's actually a great idea mm-hmm. would you buy insurance that is so personalized for you that it knows your risk profile it knows how you drive and knows where you drive and you're like you're a safe driver i'm not going to lump you this is just like advertising i'm not going to lump you by age I'm not going to lump you by geography I'm not going to lump you by gender by car make whatever insurance companies miles do miles
0: that you drive per year whatever it is they assess
1: now. risk that way but you're like wait a second that has nothing to do with how I'm as a driver. That's just to do like, yeah, I know my age and my location. I don't have control over some of these things. I'm as old as I'm old. But this forty-some-year-old male drives like a terrible person, gets into a wreck every other day. This other forty-person-year-old male, you know, in the same city drives super great. safe,
0: always obeys so yeah. the speed limit, hasn't gotten a ticket in the past twenty-five years. And why am I lumped in with this right. other bozo <laughs> that makes a, my rates go up?
1: Machine yeah. learning, great application for AI. And as a matter of fact. In our coverage of the insurance industry, this is the hyper-personalization aspect of it. But then again, now you have the other side, which is that I'm actually tracking you. I'm tracking you when you drive. I'm tracking your driving behavior. Because for you to get the ridiculously low insurance rate, you have to share the data with me to do that. So anyway, that's the thing. So hyper-personalization is here. You know, AI is really turning this dream of hyper-personalization into a reality. It's here, the genie's out of the bottle, and then not coming back. For end users who want to use hyper personal AI-powered hyper-personalization, it is a power Powerful tool and it can be incredibly useful and helpful. So, you know, if you think about medicine and government services and all sorts of applications, it's great. But the genie is out of the bottle. We can't put it back. You will be profiled, you will be targeted, and it's gonna and it can go from cool to creepy really fast. So that's something for us to think about.
0: Listeners, we hope that you've enjoyed this podcast. This is one of our AI use case podcasts. As always, we'll post any articles and concepts and related AI use case podcasts in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, please visit our website at Cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group, and make sure to join the Cognolytica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes.
1: Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link.
0: This sound recording and its contents is copyright by Cognolytica, All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.